Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, it's good to be back with our church family again after leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with around 80 people from our church family, which is something I do every couple of years. Highlights of the trip are so many, but they include several people committing their lives to Jesus Christ at a communion service we had in the Garden Tomb, and around 20 people sharing their stories and being baptized in the Jordan River, whether they wanted to or not. You're going down, brother, you know, anyways. As senior pastor, one of my primary roles and callings is to be, encourage people to go deeper in their walk with God and also to grow deeper in the Word of God. And that's why I continue to do this, because not only do people grow uh, in their understanding of the Bible, but they also grow in their conviction about the validity of the Bible. Uh, but along with that, without fail, I witness them experience God in a, in a fresh way, become more passionate about living all out for Jesus, establishing lifelong friendships, and developing a new hunger for knowing God and for studying the scriptures. Though physically and emotionally taxing, it is truly a privilege for me and Gwen uh, to be able to do this, and we're very grateful to our church uh, for the opportunity. Now, over the past few months, we've been examining what it is that Christians believe and why it is that we believe it. And today, I want to address another issue that people really struggle with. It's an issue they have with the Christian faith. But before we get into it, I want to dedicate our time in God's Word to the Lord in prayer. So would you stand with me, please, as we do that? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day which you have made. We thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus, the living word, to us, O oh God. Also for giving us the written word. And I pray, Lord, that um, as we now address this question that really causes so many people to have an issue with you and with the Christian faith, Lord, that you would teach us you would show us your truth, that you would really help us, Lord, to be sensitive to what you would say to us, and you give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in John 14:6, Jesus made a very radical statement. He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus didn't say that he was a way to God. He said he was the way to God. Jesus' claim here tends to evoke a lot of negative emotion in the lives of people. When Christians verbalize what Jesus says here, the question that many immediately ask is, if Jesus is the only way to God, then what about all of those who have never heard about Jesus? 
Well, there is no quick and easy answer to that question, but in this message, I want to do my best to spell out to you what the Bible teaches on this matter. And I do want to thank apologists Dr. Ravi Zacharias, Dr. R.C. Sproul, Michael Lacana, and also Max Anders for the insights I've gleaned from them uh, in this particular subject matter. To begin with, the Bible tells us that people from every nation, every tribe, every language will end up in heaven. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, the Apostle John gives us a glimpse of heaven. And in chapter 5, what we see in chapter 4, we see the heavenly host giving praise to the Creator. And then over in chapter 5, we see the host turn their focus on the Redeemer, on the Lamb, on the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. And in verse 9 it says, they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Notice it says that Jesus' blood purchased for God persons from every tribe and language, and people, and nation. Even though we may not be able to explain exactly how people from every people group, past, present, and future, get to heaven, the Bible points out that people from every people group will be there. Secondly, the Bible tells us that large numbers of people from every people group will be in heaven. Turn over to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. John continues to describe heaven, and he says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From where? Every nation, tribe, people group, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Notice it says, A great multitude that no one could count representing every people group, would be in heaven. A third principle we see in the scriptures is that God reveals himself in a general way to everyone. I'd like you now to turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 1 and also in chapter 2. And so you can just keep your Bibles open to that chapter. This is what we read there. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse now this passage states that from the beginning of time up to our present day, God has revealed himself and is continuing to reveal himself to all people. And he does it in two general ways. Through his creation and through writing his moral code in our heart. God reveals himself through his creation. All creation is a glorious theater which gives a magnificent display of God's creative power and reality. 
When we look at the vast expanse and design and order and precision of the universe, the galaxies, the, the planets, when we ponder the beauty of our world, not to mention the miraculous birth of a baby, we have enough information to conclude that this is not the product of chance. This is the product and the design of a powerful, creative, immensely intelligent God. David put it this way in Psalm 19. He said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. God has revealed himself through his creation. He has also revealed himself by putting his moral code in the heart of every person. Beginning in Romans 1.18, Paul says, even though every human being knows intuitively that there is a God, down through history, many have suppressed the truth. They've avoided opening up their lives to God and to knowing God. And verse 23 says, they exchanged knowing God for temporary pleasures. Instead of worshiping God, they worshiped the things that God made. They put their security in earthly things. They gave themselves over to sinful desires of their hearts. And then from verse 24 on, Paul gives a long list of sins human beings give into. And in verse 32, he says, they do these sinful things even though they know God's righteous decrees. In other words, they know what they're doing is wrong because God's moral code is written on their hearts. Even if they have no scripture, it's written on their hearts. Over in Romans 2, 20, uh, Romans 2 verse 14, Paul elaborates on this. This is what he says. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law, now note what he says, are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. Again, notice Paul says here, those people who do not have the law, or let's say they don't have a written um, copy of the Ten Commandments have a basic knowledge of God's moral code written on their hearts. They know that actions such as murder and rape and lying and stealing and falsehood, they know that those things are immoral. And when they break God's moral code that's written on their hearts, their conscience accuses them of doing wrong. Now in verse 19, Paul says, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul says here that God has made his reality plain to every person. He says they clearly know there is a God. It's plain to them. Oh, they may argue that there isn't a God. They may have all kinds of arguments that God does not exist, but deep down inside, they know there's a God. And Paul says, therefore, they're without excuse. No person, past, present, or future, 
regardless of where they have lived or are living, will ever be able to say, you know, God, I'm sorry, I didn't worship you because I didn't know you existed. Dr. R.C. Sproul says, the person who has never heard of Jesus Christ, he can plead innocent at this point. But that person cannot plead innocent with respect to God the Father. He cannot plead ignorance. For God has made his reality plain to every person through his creative power and by writing his moral code on every heart. Now that raises a question. What about people in remote areas who worship cows or totem poles or the sun or some other image that is a god to them? And since they don't have a full knowledge of the true God, I mean, isn't their religious activity and devotion acceptable to God? Well, it depends on what's going on in their heart. I remind you, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 11, we read that our Lord, our Lord looks first and foremost at matters of the heart. He does not look at our external religious activity. For example, I, I think it is wonderful, and I think it's important that we meet for worship like this every week. And I commend you for making it a priority. But you may come every week, and those who know you may say, my, that person is a really sincere Christian. Your neighbors see you get in your car, and they see you go off to church every week, and they may just admire you. Oh, man, he's, he's a committed Christian. But the reality is, that external activity does not mean that you are a sincerely devoted follower of Christ. Only the Lord knows the spiritual state of your heart, and he is concerned about what's going on inside, not what you may be doing externally necessarily. What I'm saying is, is whether we're talking about a modern Calgarian or whether we're talking about a primitive tribesman, if a person in his heart isn't open to God and is substituting a relationship with God and seeking to know God more with religious rituals and activities and the worship of temporary counterfeit gods, then that person has embraced a lie. And all of his religious activity and all of his worship is unacceptable to God. The Apostle Paul explains it this way in Romans 1, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up. Why did God give them up? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and they served the creature, the created things of God, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's the lie. When we worship the things that God made rather than God himself when we substitute a relationship that comes from the heart with God with something else. Now make no mistake, 
This applies not only to those who worship a wooden totem pole in a remote part of the world. This also applies to us today. Those people who choose to believe the lie that one's identity and one's satisfaction in life is found in one's position or it's found in the money you have in the bank or the possessions that you have or in the sinful pleasures of life. Even though these people may say that they're followers of Jesus Christ, their values and their priorities and their passions and their lifestyle clearly communicate that the source of their security and the object of their highest affection is primarily the temporary counterfeit gods of this world rather than the God who actually created them and gave them this world to enjoy. And so in summary, if a person has never heard of Jesus and the gospel of Christ, he will not be held responsible for that. However, they will be held responsible for what they did with God the Father because I remind you, God has plainly revealed himself to them through his creation and through his moral code written on their hearts. If they suppress the truth of God's reality because they want to pursue their own agenda, their own sinful pleasures, they will be held accountable for that come judgment day. On the other hand, even if they know very little about the nature of God, but they are open to God in their heart. They desire to know God more, to trust him. God will respond to that and make himself known to them in an even greater way. And that leads us to a fourth principle. Not only does God reveal himself in a general way to all people, but he reveals himself more specifically to everyone who sincerely seeks him or is open to him. Mike Lacana says, those who are indifferent to God, which includes most people today, unfortunately, in most cases will receive little, if any, additional information or special revelation from God. In other words, if you're not interested in God, he's not going to go out of his way to make himself known to you in a more, uh, in a more special way. Now make no mistake, God may still reach into history and give a special revelation to someone of himself who is indifferent to him. In Acts chapter 9, we read about a Pharisee named Saul, later to be renamed Paul, who was a very religious man. But he was focused on religion. He wasn't focused on developing a relationship with God. He was persecuting Christians. And yet, Jesus, out of his grace and his concern, reaches into history and reveals himself to Saul in a very real and a very dramatic way, completely changing the trajectory of Paul's heart and also his life. And so, yes, God in his sovereignty and his grace at times does reach into history and reveal himself to a person like Saul who is really indifferent to him. But I want you to remember that God is not morally obligated to do so. If a person is close to God, if he sees God's fantastic creation, 
but says, I don't believe in God. God's not obligated to reveal himself to that person any further. On the other hand, those who are open to God and earnestly seeking more of God will receive even more of God and a special revelation from God. Hebrews 11.6 says that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You want more of God and you sincerely want that, you will receive more from him. For example, in Acts chapter 10, we read about a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He was stationed at a Roman garrison in Caesarea, which, is, which was a little um, Roman garrison just north of modern Tel Aviv. And the Bible tells us that he was a devout and God-fearing man who prayed and who was generous with his resources. You see, he knew about God, but he didn't know about Jesus. But you see, he was honestly seeking more of the Lord. And he wanted to know God more intimately. And God, seeing Cornelius' heart's desire, answered his prayer and sent the apostle Peter to go meet with him in Caesarea. And Peter told him the full story about Jesus. And when Peter revealed the good news of Jesus to him, Cornelius now got the big picture. He understood God's master plan and why Jesus came, why Jesus died, why he rose again, and he put his trust in Christ as his Savior and Lord. Now, the implication of this particular story is this. Whenever people like Cornelius in the past or even in the, our present day open up their hearts to God and desire to know God more, God will reach out to them no matter where they live or how limited their understanding of God may be. God might give a special revelation through a Bible that someone receives. We've all heard stories of a person that was far from God and someone handed him a Bible and he began to read it and it transformed his life. And God may reveal himself um, through a vision. I mean, we have just countless number of documented stories of people of various religions all around the world becoming followers of Jesus after being visited by Christ in a vision. Rabbi Zacharias tells the story of how, how a formerly prominent Sikh, Sundar Singh, became a follower of Jesus after he had a powerful vision of Christ in his room one night. He also tells of a Muslim woman who worked for a prominent institution in her country. She told Rabbi of how she was leaving her office one day. She was restless. She was unhappy in her spirit. And as she was walking, she was so frustrated, so unfulfilled, she muttered to herself, I don't know why I feel so empty. And after that, out of the blue, she blurted out, Jesus, can you help me? It's, her saying that startled her so much she stopped right there on the sidewalk and asked herself, why did I say that? Well, that began a spiritual quest on her part that ultimately led her to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Rabbi believes that God saw a heart that was open to him, that was hungering for him, but did not know how to reach him. And so he gave her a special revelation of himself in a way that she hadn't expected. A few years ago, I met a young woman right here at the front of our worship center who told me her story after she had been attending our church for a couple of years. She grew up in a Muslim home, was a Muslim herself, ultimately married a Muslim man. One night she felt that her husband was in danger and she felt she needed to do something. She just didn't know what to do. Out of the blue, she sensed a voice within her saying, speak to Jesus about it. Again, that thought startled her. Where did that come from? But she opened up her heart in that moment and she had a powerful vision of and a personal encounter with Jesus who appeared to her with his hands outstretched to her. She said to me, that encounter with Jesus was so real that I knew that he is God. And she has followed him ever since, even though her husband left her and th their children because of her decision to follow Christ. And even though her life has been threatened by members of his family. You see, when people open up their heart to God, he will give them a special revelation of himself through miracles. Sometimes it will happen right during the birth of a child or again through the scriptures. And yes, friends, and we must not overlook this. He will do it through the life, the example, and the testimony of Christians. In fact, I'm convinced this is the major way that he makes himself known through those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. Dr. Mark Milberg tells the story of a former Hindu man, Mahendra Singha, who was raised in a Hindu home in India. And he grew up going to the temple to offer food to the idols. He was later tutored personally by gurus whose task it was to instill in him the truths of Hinduism. However, what Mahendra heard just did not satisfy the deep longings of his soul. It did not satisfy the questions that he was asking. And so he just kept asking. In the words of Jesus, he kept asking, he kept seeking, he kept knocking. Until one day he saw an ad in a local newspaper about a Bible correspondence course. His heart was drawn to that and he began to study the Bible. Not long after, he met some Christians who shared the gospel with him. And what he heard from them rang true to the core of his soul. He knew it was right. It was true. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Fellow Christian, I trust this teaching helps us all to realize how important it is that we are prepared, that we're available, that we're open not only to living out our faith, but to sharing our faith when the opportunity affords itself because someone in our sphere of influence may be opening up their heart to God. They may be seeking the Lord and the Lord may want to use our life. He may want to use our testimony to introduce them to Jesus. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says we are his witnesses wherever it is we go. 
It's a high and it's a holy calling because we may be the vehicle that God uses to change the trajectory, the eternal trajectory of a person's life. Fifthly, the Bible teaches that there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. In Acts 4.12, it says, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Over in Romans 3.25, it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left. Now notice what what he says next. He had left the sins committed beforehand. In other words, all the sins up to the time that Christ died for us. All the sins prior to that, he left unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. These passages clearly indicate that Jesus' atonement is necessary for the salvation of all people, past, present, and future. If you think about it, Jesus died for your sins almost 2,000 years before you ever committed one. And yet you are forgiven through Christ's atonement on the cross. You see, God the Father accepts Christ's atonement not only for sins committed after his sacrificial death on the cross, but also for the sins of those who lived before his time on earth. In Genesis 15, verse 6, we read, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved because he embraced the truth of God that he had received. And even though there were no scriptures available to him to read in his day, and even though he had not met Christ personally, God apparently credited to him the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Rabbi Zacharias says, I believe as God reveals himself, there are levels of understanding that are bound to vary between people. Fundamentally, Romans 1.16 teaches that God judges people according to their hearts and according to how they respond to the amount of light or the amount of truth that they have received. Which means that regardless of where a person lives in the world, God has made a way for everyone to first of all get a glimpse of his reality through his creation. And anyone who sincerely seeks God and is open to him and responds with trust and with love to the light that they have received, however little that might be, they will have the saving blood of Jesus Christ credited to their account in the same way that God credited the blood of Christ, the atonement of Christ, to Abraham's account and to the account of Melchizedek, to the account of Jethro, to the account of Job and a host of other um, biblical characters that we find in the Old Testament account. Dr. Zachariah says, we need to be careful in our thinking 
that unless a person says a certain prayer or a certain creed, that they don't know God or fail to be in right relationship with God. You see, again, God looks at the heart. That speaks a whole lot louder than what we say with our mouth, even though it's important that we do say it with our mouth. Some people's experience of God on our planet is not unlike that of an infant's knowledge of his mother. He knows that she nourishes him, she changes him, she embraces him, she kisses him, and he concludes she must be a friend. That child doesn't know his mother as well as he will when he's 18 years old. But he knows her enough as an infant to trust her and to love her back. Which brings us to a final principle. And that is God is just. And he will judge everyone in a fair, just, and a right way. We can trust him in this. Genesis 18.25 says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Referring to God, the psalmist says, He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. We can rest assured that everyone will be judged fairly and rightly. And we also need to remember that our God is a good, kind, and compassionate God who cares about this issue a whole lot more than we do. The Bible says he takes no pleasure in the death of anyone. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so as we wrap up, I just want to ask those of you who are here today, who perhaps have been skeptical of Christianity because of this very issue, have you raised this issue because you really care about the eternal destiny of those who have never heard about Christ? Or have you raised it because deep down inside you still aren't prepared to take Christ real seriously? You really don't want Christ messing around with your values and your priorities in your life. And so, if you're really honest, you'd have to admit that you're looking for another reason not to believe in Christ. Whatever your motivation, my word to you is don't let your concern about what is going to happen to all the people of other religions on our planet and all those who have never heard about Christ prevent you from responding to God yourself. Because a day is coming when you're going to stand before holy God and he's not going to ask you why some person in the Far East didn't respond to his love and grace. No, he's going to ask you why you didn't respond. Why you suppressed the truth. Why you exchanged the truth for a lie. And rather than seeking him, kept him at a safe, comfortable distance. Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve which God you're going to serve. The true God, the God of Baal, choose, said Joshua. And then he said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We're going to live all out for the Lord. You know, if you were in a hospital 
and a fire broke out. And you knew where there was a safe and a secure exit. What would you do? You could say to yourself, I suppose, that there must be another way to get off the, this floor of the hospital. You could even go looking for another exit while the smoke thickened and the fire grew around you. But the truth is, in that moment, you know that you would do the sensible thing. You would not only head to the one exit that you know about as quickly as possible, but you would urge everyone else on that floor to join you in going through that door. You know, friends, the Bible says that as sinners, we're headed for a Christless eternity without hope. It tells us that there is a door, however. There is a way of freedom to live forever in heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He said, I'm the door. If you come through me, if you put your trust in me, you will be saved. Friends, you've heard the truth. You can, say, you can never again say to God or anyone else that you don't know the way to God or to eternal life. But the decision rests with you. What will you do with Jesus? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus was telling the truth when he said he was the way to God and to heaven. My question is, have you put your trust in him? Or are you still keeping him at a safe, comfortable distance? If you would have to acknowledge that you aren't sure where you would be moments after you die and, and you want to walk through the door that Christ offers you and begin a life-altering relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to join me in praying a prayer along with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. I confess I've been avoiding you so that I could live my life my way. I now realize there isn't a place, there isn't a philosophy or a religion that I can use to hide from you. I acknowledge that you are God and that I'm not. And Lord, that I need you. I need a Savior. And so right now, by faith, I open the door of my life to you. I acknowledge my sin, my pride, my rebellion. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me. That you would cleanse me. That you would put your robe of righteousness on me. Lord, come into my life, I pray. Come in as my Savior. And my Lord make me all that you want me to be I've counted the cost Lord and I commit myself to following you as Lord and King from this day forth for I pray it in the precious name of Jesus now following the benediction there's going to be prayer partners up here and so if you prayed that prayer I want to ask you to go to one of those prayer partners or hunt me down <laughs> and let us know that you prayed that prayer. 
because we want to bless you. We want to pray with you. We want to give you direction as you continue to grow in your walk with God. Before I give the benediction, I, I just want to say a word to Christ's followers here today. You know, as I um, was preparing this message, I asked the Lord, what do you want to say to us as your followers through this message? And he reminded me of the time many years ago when uh, Gwen and I were, were just newly married. Um, I was working on uh, my, my doctorate in Chicago. And during a semester break, we decided to fly home for a couple of weeks. And for reasons I won't go into, we were late for our flight and had to run for quite some distance to catch our flight. And when we arrived, we learned the flight was delayed. And so we had some time to kind of catch our breath and get a bit settled. Unfortunately, because we were late, we couldn't sit with each other. And so after climbing to cruising altitude, I introduced myself to the person next to me. And a few moments later, he turned to me and he said, may I ask you a rather personal question? And I said, sure. He says, this may sound kind of weird to you. But he said, when I saw you in the waiting room, he says, I couldn't help but notice, but I couldn't help but notice that you have a countenance of peace around you. And he says, you know what? I've been searching for peace all of my life. I've been longing for it. And I just need to know what you have that I don't have. Now, first of all, I want to say, I just want to assure you that that doesn't happen to me every day. All right. But I learned a valuable lesson that day. I mean, whose countenance of peace do you think that he really picked up that day? I guarantee you it wasn't mine. I mean, have you ever been late for a flight at the world's busiest airport? I had a countenance of panic, not a countenance of peace. No, I had to conclude that he sensed the presence of the Lord in me. And friends, that day I developed a whole new appreciation for Christ's words in Matthew 28 when he said, and surely I am with you always. But as I thought about that incident this week, the Lord reminded me that he is at work in people's lives all around us. And when we are walking closely with him and we're listening to his voice, he will direct us to people or he will direct people to us if we're sensitive to him at all, who are opening up their lives to God, who are seeking him. And every one of us here who claims Jesus as Savior and Lord, every one of us, people will see Jesus in us. They may not be able to explain it and they probably won't say, I see Jesus in you. They'll just say, if they don't say it to you, they'll say it about you. What is there about that guy or that gal? And friends, that is why we are here and not in heaven. 
God wants to use each one of us to impact the lives and the eternal trajectory of those who are still far from him. And what a privilege that is. What a high and a holy calling that is. And yes, what a tragedy it is when we spend most of our time chasing after lesser things, when we spend so much of our lives and our resources investing in things that aren't going to matter a hill of beans in the end, and miss out hearing the whispers of God directing us to, to those that he wants us to serve, to love, to listen to, or to just to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Friend, you can spend your life pursuing the security, the stuff, the temporary things in this world, or you can give your life away in love for others who need the Lord, investing in that which is going to outlast you and will never, ever fade. In light of all the people who need the Lord and are searching for true rest for their soul, I challenge all of us to count the cost and to sign over the rest of our lives to the greatest cause that has been ever given to man, to the glory of God and for sake of a world that so desperately needs the Jesus we know and love. Can you say amen to that? Would you stand with me as we just end with the benediction? And now may the Lord bless you. Oh, may he bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and through you. And may he give you his power and his peace as you follow him and listen to his voice. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.